Maybe, uh, like myself, uh, you find that music is helpful going through journeys, whether it's uh, being stuck in traffic or maybe going to a new place or just in everyday life that music can help us get through those journeys. And so we continue the, the journey and the story of Daniel looking at chapter 6 where we see how it is that the Babylonians have been uh, defeated, the empire which first oppressed Daniel and his people. And now as they have been defeated, here comes a new empire, a new group of conquerors, um, conquering uh, from uh, Persia um, by the Medes. And so we are introduced to a new king um, that is getting to know Daniel and is as impressed with him as the previous king. But also Daniel is continuing to struggle with who he is as a follower of God and as one of God's people. And then also how it is that he is continuing to exist within this new empire. And so we see at the beginning of chapter 6, King Darius. It says that Darius reorganized his kingdom. He appointed 120 governors to administer all the parts of his realm. And over them were three vice regents, one of whom was Daniel. The governors reported to the vice regents who made sure that everything was in order for the king. So King Darius and the Medes, they defeat the Babylonians. And now you have this new king and this new reorganization. Darius uh, also conquers Persia, and so he's addressing this new reorganization to the Persian people and, of course, to the Israelites as well. And now there are over 100 governors, but over those governors are three vice regents, and one of them is Daniel, an Israelite, one of the prisoners, one of the slaves. You might imagine how some, if not all of these governors, might find that a bit of a challenge. It says, Daniel, brimming with spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice regents and the governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the entire kingdom. So not only is this percepted, um, you know, oppressed person, this, this slave, this prisoner, this person who is supposed to be conquered and therefore not as good as the rest of us, he gets put in place of great power. And this, of course, makes the other leaders furious. And so the governors and the regents, they try to, in the story, dig up dirt on Daniel. But they can't. Legally, on paper, they cannot find anything to be able to bring to the king and say, this is why this person should not be placed in power. And so one of them says, we are never going to find anything against this Daniel unless we can scheme up something Religious. If we can't find anything legally, maybe we can find something within the system of religion. The story continues for the next 30 days, no one is to pray to any god or mortal except you, O king. So the leaders approach King Darius and they say, let's make a new law. Let's say that uh, everyone, and of course who they're really talking about, are the oppressed, the conquered. No one is to pray to any god except you, O king. Anyone who disobeys this rule will be thrown into the lion's den. So issue this decree, O king, and make it unconditional, as if written in stone, like all the laws of the Medes and the Persians. 
The story says King Darius signed that decree. So Daniel's wit and his wisdom, it has allowed him to rise up through all of these rankings of the empires. The empires, of course, which has been oppressing him and his people. But in the midst of this, he has also been able to make at least some systemic change within these empires who have been oppressing them. While also honoring his identity and, of course, still following God. However, we see, sort of like his friends and the furnace... Now Daniel is faced with the decision that he cannot work around. And so Daniel's response is, he prays. Daniel prays to God. The story shares that at the time he was doing this, his windows were open facing Jerusalem, which may be an indication of how he's noticed by some of the governors. Now maybe it's just because he happened to have his window open at this time, or... Maybe Daniel was doing this on purpose as a sign of civil disobedience, as a sign of nonviolent resistance. At any rate, some of the governors see that Daniel is doing this and they run immediately to the king and they say, Did you not sign a decree forbidding anyone to pray to any god or man except you for the next 30 days? And did you also not make a law that says anyone caught doing this will be thrown into the lion's den? Absolutely, said the king. It's written in stone, like all the laws of the Medes and the Persians. They wait for Darius, the king, to reiterate what it is that they already know is happening so that they can set it up for this conclusion. Then they said, well, Daniel... Remember that guy that you appointed that you think is so great? Daniel, one of the Jewish exiles, by the way, he's ignoring you. He has chosen to ignore you, and he defies your decree. And then they say it one more time. Remember, in Scripture, anytime something is repeated, it's very intentional, it's very on purpose, and it's to help us remember. They say, remember, O king, it is the law. It is the law of the Medes and the Persians that the king's decree can never be changed. The law is the law. Rules are rules. Sometimes, not just in our culture, but almost in in every culture, those cultural phrases that we have come to know or that we have heard so often, sometimes in societies, even those are treated as laws. This is just the way things are. Leopards can't change their spots. Boys will be boys. So in the midst of these laws, in the midst of laws that seem to make sense for some, but then others question them and talk about how they are impacted by them, in the midst of these rules and conversations, well, should the rules be changed? Should they stay the same? One of the questions that can arise is, well, if we change this law, or even more importantly, if we break this law, what happens to all the others? If we don't follow this one, does it mean that we don't have to follow this one? Where does it stop? And it's a valid question because it can sometimes put a mirror to our society, to the way that we function, the way that we live, the way that we exist. Because if we get, if we don't exist by these rules, what is going to help us be the people we are supposed to be? But it makes me wonder, are we really that interconnected? 
Are we really that interdependent as a society to make sure that all of these rules are sewn together? Because if our societal structure is so complex and yet at the same time so fragile that every rule exists on the dependency of the next one, why can we also not be just as interconnected, interdependent as a people? Why can we not also be just as interconnected and interdependent in our relationships? Daniel's story continues that the king caved in and ordered Daniel brought and thrown into the lion's den. But before this happens, he almost has a a private conversation with Daniel. And Darius says, your God, to whom you are so loyal, your God's going to get you out of this. Someone else will fix it. I am bound by these rules. We are all bound by these rules. But your God should be able to help you. And it says that a stone slab was placed over the opening of the den. I almost wonder if maybe that's when King Darius is saying this to Daniel. Daniel is lowered into this pit right before the the lions come out, and as the stone slab is going over, maybe that's when King Darius says, your God will get you out of this, don't worry. But then it continues to say that the king sealed the cover with his signet ring and the signet rings of all his nobles, fixing Daniel's fate. And you can almost imagine their hands going in and just turning that in and just saying, well, the law is the law, Rules are rules. And then there is this break, this this interesting break that is happening in the midst of these procedures, in the midst of these policies. The story goes that the king goes back to his quarters and he refused supper. He could not sleep. He spent the night fasting. Do we sometimes have a similar struggle, a similar struggle living within this this structure that that we have either made or or been a part of, this this structure of laws and the structure of rules? Maybe sometimes as kids we struggle with these rules and we hear from the adults, you know, well, this this is just how it is. Rules are rules. We have to follow them. This is what keeps us as good people. And then, of course, as we grow and mature and and learn and experience through adults, we find ways to sort of, I don't know, kids-splain, society-splain our way through, well, you know, yeah, I'm I'm supposed to do this or I'm not supposed to do this, but it is so interesting that we get this point of view from the king, while at the same time, Daniel is spending the night with lions. So we don't, we don't necessarily see, you know, as we might do in one of those Charlton Heston kind of movies, you know, that the, the cage rises up and the lions come out. We don't see any of that. We see this king struggling with what it is that he himself has structured. But, you know, the interesting thing about the lions, we know that the lions are happening. And it may be important for us to remember that at the time of the Hebrew Bible, lions were kind of a a symbol of mystery and a symbol for exile. It was this mysterious animal that, of course, you didn't want to get to know too much because about a second into it, you'd be dead. 
And so lions were seen almost as a symbol of fear. We, we kind of have this picture sometimes of lions, you know, representing strength and nobility. Maybe we think of Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia. But there's this kind of weird dichotomy in Scripture. Because at one point, lions can seem very strong, but at another, they are very mysterious. And, of course, we see in the New Testament and First Peter that the writer actually refers to the lion as a symbol of danger, as a satanic figure, a roaring lion seeking prey to devour. And so we might wonder sometimes, well, which is it? Are we supposed to be inspired by the lion? Or are we to be in fear of the lion? And of course, does it really have to be one or the other? What do we believe? And how do we live into our beliefs? What happens if something challenges or even changes those beliefs? If we suddenly, or maybe from over time, we start to see God in a new way, and it seems to be, at least at first, more of a refusal than an embrace. Does it make us wonder, is it really God we are following, or our beliefs, or our rules? It is easy, of course, to obey and even defend the rules that are set up which already benefit us. But then comes Jesus and says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you are familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I am telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a sibling is guilty of murder. You know the next commandment pretty well. Do not commit adultery. But don't think you have preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those oogling looks you think no one notices, they are also corrupt. You are familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I am challenging this. I am telling you to love your enemies Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. And of course, there is that incredibly visual and challenging parable of the vineyard workers and the landowner. Workers who, of course, start at the very break of dawn, knowing that a 12-hour day is ahead of them. Back-breaking work, horrendous heat. And in the midst of this, the landowner is out in the community, out finding other workers, other laborers, those who are standing around hoping to be seen but yet have not. And the landowner says each time, why are you not working? And they say, well, no one has come to us. No one has found us. And the landowner invites them to be a part of his work, of his place. And he does this in the late of the morning, in the middle of the day, in the late afternoon, and finally at the very last hour before the day is over. Every one of them comes, does what they are able to do, and then at the end, at the payday, everyone is paid the same wage. 
And you have these workers, understandably, who have been there since the crack of dawn, seeing these others who have maybe worked an hour, maybe not even that much, getting paid the same. And they say, what is this? They were only here an hour, maybe 30 minutes, and they're getting paid the same as me. I've been breaking my back the entire day. I have worked for this. And the landowner says, are you stingy because I am generous? Here it is again, Jesus says, the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last and the last first. What about that law? What about that rule? Do not suppose for a minute, Jesus continues, that I have come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I am not here to demolish. I am here to complete. How much do we actually struggle with what it means to live in the kingdom of God? A kingdom of God that sometimes goes up against our own set of laws, of rules, and of course certainly traditions. Traditions that say you should work for what you get. But yet here comes Jesus says, I want everyone to have the same. And so the next morning, the king wakes and he comes back and he sees that Daniel is still alive. My God sent his angel, Daniel said, who closed the mouths of the lions so that they would not hurt me. I have been found innocent before God and also before you, O king. I have done nothing to harm you. The king is happy. He promotes Daniel. And then he even goes so far as to say, you know, those vice regents who who started all of this in the first place, send them and their families into the lion's den. Which hopefully our first reaction is, what? Jesus helps us to remember that justice is not about giving punishment to those who have hurt us, but to finding that way. The way that that Daniel says, you know, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the night, in the midst when you had condemned me to death, something else happened. And you found me the next morning. King Darius published this proclamation, the story says, to every race, to every color, every new creed on earth. Peace to you, abundant peace. I decree that Daniel's God shall be worshipped and feared in all parts of my kingdom. He is the living God, world without end. God's kingdom never fails. God's rule continues eternally. God is a savior and rescuer, performing astonishing miracles in heaven and on earth. Now, is Darius doing this just to appease Daniel and the people that he has inspired, the people he is leading? Or has this been part of his struggle that night when Daniel was safe with the lions so that now he has come to a new conclusion, a new identity, a new declaration of life? 
Is it possible to see God in a new way? John Wesley broke the rules. When the Methodist movement was just starting, when it was going over to the new colonies, John Wesley saw a church in a community the Church of England did not agree with, nor how to get there. And so in the beginning, when John Wesley still wanted to remain an Anglican clergy person, he still wanted to be a part of the Church of England, but yet he saw the need for others to go to a new place and wanted to officially ordain them, sticking with his clergy vows. But the church said no. His call and his tug was stronger. They did not grant Wesley the authority to ordain ministers, but he did so anyway. At our annual conference, in the midst of everything that happened, the youth delegation stood up in front of the entire crowd and said to the people, what is more important, rules or grace? Now, I'm not talking about breaking old rules. This isn't about being anti-authority. But at the same time, we've all experienced those times when we have been upended and challenged by, at the very least, customs, which we have considered part of our structure, and yet they start to become more fluid. Rules like parental leave and employment, the equal treatment of all people, Self-care and the need for counseling. All of these things that for decades were seen as taboo have now become more integrated and accepted, not just because it's fashionable, but because we see that it is fulfilling a need that many of us, or at least those who we know, have needed for years and years. And so this is not about being reckless or anti-authority. Rules are established for our protection, for our stability, even at times for our identity. But when they become the idol, when we say that we must keep them and follow them, when really it's to benefit some at the expense of the others, we have to examine why they are still worth living. And do we have the strength to go in a new direction? Which, of course, this is what our examination of Daniel is. Strength for the journey. And, of course, our journeys can be different. They can change. And so we need different strengths. As journeys strength, uh, change, we need the strength to be able to endure that change, to embrace it, to go through it. If we simply sit back and say, well, those are the rules, how well are we actually living into our identity as God's people? And so as Jesus says all of these new commandments, As he's saying, you have heard it this way, but I say to you now. He sums it up in a word, actually two words. He says, what I am telling you is, grow up. You are kingdom subjects. You are kingdom people. So go live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. And if we really want to be following the rules, if that's what we are about, let us not forget the two greatest rules, the two greatest commandments 
Jesus gave us. Love God and love each other. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we remembered in that incredible age-old psalm, we ask for your strength to walk through whatever valley we find ourselves in. That on the other side, we may see those still waters and green pastures, that our souls be restored. And as we find that strength for the journey, O God, may we also share that strength with others who are on their journey. And in those times when they seem stopped in their tracks for whatever reason, may we help share the strength that you have given us, that we all go forward as kingdom people. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Sometimes in our journey, we are prone to wander away from the very love that we seek. For many reasons. Maybe something has happened which we cannot reconcile. Maybe the hurt is just too deep. Or maybe the rules are saying, well, I should go this way. And yet God continues to say, follow me. And sometimes even, God does more than say, go this way. God interacts with us, walks with us for a bit, and over time, that path, that journey, comes back. Wherever we are in our journey, let us remember first and foremost, how are we seeing God walking in front of us, and where is it leading? If it's leading us toward loving God, if it's leading us to loving each other, then we know we are on the right path. So let us continue walking that path, even in the midst of all the twists and turns, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the wandering. Know that if we are loving God and loving each other, we will stay on the right path. And may we go in that path in peace. Amen.